Well, good morning, Oakwood. So glad that you're here this morning. Great time to be a part of God's church here at Oakwood. We are a church that is growing to know, love, and live Jesus in every area of our lives. We are starting a new series today, so you are on the ground floor opportunity as we are in this series called 24. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks leading up to Easter, I know some of you like, Easter, it's February. Yes, Easter is in March this year, so it's only six weeks away. And so uh, we're going to be in this series looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus's life. And we're going, to be, we're going to be drilling down into what was Jesus saying, what was Jesus doing, and we're going to be learning from the scriptures together. And so we want you to engage the word of God this morning, follow along in the app, follow along in your Bible, uh, whatever, whatever uh, mode you want to this morning, but the main thing is that you hear clearly from the word of God this morning, and that's what we want for you. I was uh, at a preacher's uh, conference uh, just a couple of years ago. I was talking to uh, some other senior ministers, and one of the senior ministers uh, was trying to summarize what is our role as a pastor? What is our role as church leaders and churches, and what are we supposed to do for those people that, that come in, that become a part of our church family? And I, I love what he said. He said, we are called to comfort the afflicted, and to afflict the comfortable. And let that sit, sit in for a minute. We're to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I thought, now, now that's, that, I, I get that. Because there are times where people come into God's church and they need comfort. They've been beaten down by the things of this world. They've, they've been lost. They're suffering the consequences of their sinful choices. And they, they come into uh, God's church and they're like dragging themselves in. And maybe some of you, you can relate to that this morning. You're like, man, that's how I feel. Like, I, I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to get up. And I drug myself here. And I hope that you find the comfort of Jesus this morning. But probably, if we're honest this morning, there's, for many more of us, the other part. That we need to afflict the comfortable. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we can get quite comfortable in our walk. And then we look at our walk, we say, well, really, are we doing the things that God wants us to do? Are we, are we actually obeying and walking out the commands and scripture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And are we on his gospel mission, the Great Commission, to make disciples? Like, like how many disciples have you made this year? Or, okay, well, about last year. Okay, 2022. You see, sometimes we need to get out of our comfort zone. Now, I take that role very seriously. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable because as I read scripture and read the gospels, I see that's what Jesus did. Didn't he? He had this tendency to comfort the afflicted and yet to afflict those who are comfortable. And so wherever you're at this morning, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to you and be that for you today as we dive into the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus Christ. And today, here's the bottom line of, of the message today. It, it is simply this. If you abide in Jesus, he will be with you always and get you through anything. If you will abide in Jesus, he will be with you always and get you through anything. Now, if you've got the sermon outline out of the bullets and you're following along this morning, I want you to underline, be with you and get you through. Just underline, be with you. Underline, get you through. Let those jump out at you this morning. That he's going to be with you. His presence is always going to be there and be with you. And we're going to read about that in relationship to the disciples this morning. But he's also going to get you through. Get you through. Because some of you, you're going through it, aren't you? Right now, you're like, man, you don't know what I'm going through. But 
but God does. And Jesus says, I'm going to be with you and get you through anything and everything. Your part, stay connected. Abide in me. We have this beautiful text. It's become one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture in John's Gospel. And it's in, found in chapters 13 through 17. And it's this, this section of Scripture called the Upper Room Discourse. Now, if I say that to you, you probably can assume a couple of things. First of all, that it happened in the upper room. What happened in the upper room? Right, the Last Supper, right? They went to the upper room. They celebrated Passover. That was the last Passover that Jesus was going to celebrate and observe with his disciples. He brings about that new meaning, right, for Holy Communion out of that Passover meal. And so uh, we, we read that, and we know they're in the upper room. But John's gospel does something the other gospels don't do in that and that he tells us about that conversation in the upper room. They go to the upper room. They gather and assemble there. He begins with how it started. He, he talks about Jesus washing, washing the disciples' feet there at the very beginning of chapter 13. And then he goes into all of these dialogues and all of these things that Jesus is telling the disciples and Jesus is teaching the disciples. Now, I want to encourage you this week. This is your homework. Is I want you to read John 13 through 17. Just read it in its entirety. It's going to warm you up to this Easter season. It's going to get you right here as we settle into the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And I want you to just take in what Jesus was trying to convey. What was Jesus trying to tell the disciples in these 24 hours? And also, I want you to think about this through the entire series. What if you only had 24 hours to live? Did you think you'd be really strategic in your conversations? Do you think you'd be very intentional with every word that you spoke to everyone, especially if you're the son of God and you're leaving the physical influence of this training time with these 12 disciples? Very intentional was Jesus as he spoke these words to them. And throughout this, this section in this text, we find this theme that Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, I am going away. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving. He makes it clear. Now, if you've read the Gospels and you, and you know your Bible, you know, well, that's not the first time Jesus alluded to this. I mean, Jesus has pretty much flat out told them that I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'll, I'll be, be raised up again. And, and so he's, he's been foreshadowing this all the time. But Jesus here is making it clear to them. In fact, I, I just pulled a bunch of uh, texts from this section of Scripture, and I'll share them with you. Uh, this is all from John's uh, Gospel 13 through 17. Hear these verses from different parts of these chapters and listen to what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Take this in. 13.1 at the very beginning. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's the foundation. John 13.33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. 1336, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Because he could see already, just from chapter 13, the disciples are getting troubled. He says, hey, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you will also be where I am. John 14, 18, and 19. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. 1425. All this I have spoken while still with you. Verses 27 through 29 of 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Chapter 16, verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? 16, 16. In a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. 1628, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And finally, in 17, verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. This is, a, this is during a prayer that Jesus is giving. He said, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Is it clear to you yet? Jesus is leaving He's leaving them. And having experienced Jesus like those disciples did, I think they're, they're all over the place. They, they're like, you know, and Jesus keeps saying things like, well, it's good that I'm leaving you. No, it's not good. You're the son of God. Well, let's, let's play, play back for a moment what, what has led up uh, to this time as Jesus is sharing this, this moment with his closest friends. If you remember uh, what this Holy Week has been like up until these last 24 hours. It's been quite a week. Remember on Sunday, it was, it was the triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday where the people were waving the palm branches and singing his praises and praising his name. I think it was at that point that the disciples thought, yes, this Jesus movement is taking effect. Look at all the followers. Look at all the crowds. And they're like, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. They're actually seeing Jesus as the Messiah, who he really is, as the Son of God. This is going to be incredible. We have all of these people behind us now. We're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to usher in the messianic age. It's going to be awesome. And the disciples are there. You know. And do you remember what happened though on Sunday? As Jesus says, as Jesus was on that donkey and he came up over the hill it says he stopped and he overlooked jerusalem and it says he cried he wept over jerusalem the lostness of that city but also the things that he would experience there this holy week that's how it started though sunday and the disciples are pretty pumped and they're like yes you know every everybody's coming in and and then you got to monday now monday was the day that jesus uh, cleared the temple and Caiaphas and company were a bit miffed, um, we should say. Um, did, didn't make a whole lot of friends there that day. And then if, don't forget about Tuesday. Tuesday, uh, Jesus participated in a few debates with the religious leaders. Now, when Jesus debates, he always wins. <laughs> so people, you know, don't love winners like the Kansas City Chiefs sometimes. Um, people don't love winners. Um, and, and so they, you know, they get, they get mad about it. But Jesus won every debate that he had because he's the son of God. 
but he did so at the cost of friends. Now, traditionally, as you read the Gospels, there's not much about Wednesday. It's like Wednesday was almost a day where they retreated a little bit, where it was a day of rest. We don't really know what happens. There's several debates as you read scholars about these things, about what really happened on Wednesday, what didn't happen on Wednesday. But then you usher into Thursday that begins the last 24 hours of the life of Christ, which is where we pick up this upper room discourse. This has been quite a week. It's been high in this ex- excitement. I'm sure as, the, as Jesus said, hey, we're going to go uh, celebrate the Passover together, and he was preparing them, telling them to prepare the upper room, and as they're going, they're like, yes, this is awesome. This is going to be Israel's rebirth, even though it really seemed more like destruction, as it were. But obviously, there, there was going to be some risk involved and maybe even the loss of life in battle. But it would all be worth it because we are going to usher in this messianic age of Israel with the Son of God. And the disciples were sold out to this. They absolutely believed all of their love and all of their loyalty now lied with Jesus. And that's why it was such a bombshell when he said all of the things I just read. That's why Jesus' announcement really bothered the disciples. You're leaving? Now? Why? What do you mean you're leaving? What do you mean that you're going? And what do you mean that it's a good thing? And so as they're in that upper room together, Jesus reveals a couple of truths to them. The first one is this. I'm leaving, but I'm sending you a helper. If you're taking notes, note, please, the capital H with the helper. I'm leaving, but I'm sending you a helper. It's with a capital H on purpose because it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is referenced all throughout John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And as you go throughout this passage of Scripture, you see the Holy Spirit called three things in English. You see it, refer, you see it referred to, um, him referred to as the counselor with a capital C as the advocate with a capital A, and as the helper with a capital H. These are all references to the Holy Spirit of God, who Jesus says is coming. The Holy Spirit will come as the counselor. He will guide these disciples. The Holy Spirit will come as the advocate. He will advocate between God and them on their behalf to God. He will advocate even to mankind. He will will help prepare the way, prepare the hearts, prepare. He will also be their helper. The one that just helps them make it when they feel like they can't go any further. The Holy Spirit is coming. And so Jesus keeps saying, hey, I'm leaving, but it's a good thing that I'm leaving. Because the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the advocate, the helper is coming to be with you. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus in the upper room discourse said this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the, here it is, the capital A, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. You remember what Jesus was called? It was actually in the prophecies in the Old Testament. It said that when the Son of God is born into the world, You shall give him the name Emmanuel, meaning, it's a Hebrew word actually, that means God with us. So the disciples have been living in this time of Emmanuel, God with us. 
And what could, I mean, what could be better than that, right? I mean, Jesus is Emmanuel, God put on flesh, and he's Emmanuel, God with us. But then here he says, I'm leaving and it's good. And the disciples are like, no, it's not. And he's like, yes, it is. No, it is not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's good because I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who's not Emmanuel, God with us. He's now the Holy Spirit, God in us. And from the time of Acts chapter 2, when these disciples received the Holy Spirit, Christians receive the Holy Spirit when they get saved. And we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And they did back then in the book of Acts, as you read throughout the New Testament, and even into our time here today. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the advocate. We have the helper. We have the counselor. Now, I'm wondering who you take your counsel from. Who's advocating for you? Are you leaning into the Holy Spirit of God when you need help? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit's power to work through your life so that you can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As you share and evangelize to those that are lost, Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you a helper. The second thing he says in our passage today, he says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Abide in me. And I'll abide in you. Some translations say abide. Some translations say remain. But it gives us this idea of dwelling. Permanence. Abide in me and I in you. Now, if you think about that just for a second, you're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. So if, if you're going to abide in someone, that means you're like with them, right? And so if Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, abide in me. And all abide in you, but I'm leaving. <laughs> Is this one of those times in Scripture where you know, it contradicts itself? You know, But let's just read the text. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus is in the middle of the upper room discourse here, and this is what he says to his disciples. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, any of you grown a garden, been on a farm, you know this is true. Dead branches that are just dead, they're just wasting, right? You just cut them off, you throw them away, you burn them, you get rid of them because they're dead branches. Some of the branches need to be pruned because when you cut them, it's just not comfortable, but when you cut them, it helps them to produce even more fruit. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the vine in the heavenly Father, God in heaven. He's the gardener, and you all are the branches. Now, let's pick up verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, here he goes in verse 4. Remain. That's that word abide in some translations. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It makes me wonder why so many Christians can't do nothing today. Do you find yourself there sometimes? I don't feel like I can do anything for, for the gospel Maybe it's because you're not remaining in him. And then he goes on. 
In verse 6, he says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Because this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you're really a disciple of me, Jesus is saying, you're going to have some fruit. There's going to be some spiritual fruit in your life that people are going to go, oh, that's a Jesus person there. There's no way they can produce that themselves. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you now. And here he goes again. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Disciples, you want to know how you have complete joy in me? You remain, you abide, you dwell in me, and I will remain, abide, and dwell in you. And the disciples needed this bad. The disciples needed this because that was the only way they were going to survive. This was a means of survival for these disciples. And as Jesus assures them, if you read the entirety of their upper room discourse, Jesus is also telling them, I will establish my kingdom. And you all are going to do the legwork, Jesus followers. Now you may say, well, man, those disciples, they were completely unprepared. No, they weren't. They just spent three years with Jesus. And they were going to be expected to establish the kingdom of God in Jesus' absence as he went to the heavenly Father. But Jesus says, I'm offering you support because you're going to remain in me. You're going to abide in me, and I'm going to remain and abide in you. And you're going to do some great and miraculous works. Listen to what else Jesus said about the disciples and some of the works they were going to do. John 14, 11 through 12, okay? So, so the section we just read about remaining and abiding, okay, it's a reference back at the end of that section we just read to the, to the works. is back to John 14, 11 through 12. So just a little bit earlier, Jesus had said this. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. What is he referencing there, there to as, as the works themselves? He's talking about the miracles. In fact, some translations say, hey, you can base the evidence on the miracles themselves. These are God miracles. This is not something humans can do on their own. These are supernatural things that only God's power can do. So Jesus is talking about that right at the, at the end of verse 11. Now verse 12. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, let's just think through this. Obviously, we're not talking about walking on water, feeding 5,000. No one could out-miracle the Son of God, okay? You're not, you're not going to find that. But what Jesus was very explicitly saying here, and what he was referencing was the spread of the gospel. He said, the greater works that I'm going to see you all Holy Spirit-filled people do is you're going to take people that are completely lost, deplorable, headed straight to hell, and you're going to offer them the good news about Jesus, and it's going to completely change their life. 
You're going to see transformation right before your very eyes. You're going to see eternal destinations change. You're going to go and do greater works than you've seen me in all of my healing miracles and all the miraculous things you've seen me do. The death to life that you've seen me do in Lazarus, you're going to see it all the time as you share your faith in me. And that's why it's so important. What did he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's only by the power of God through Jesus Christ and the indwelling we have of the Holy Spirit that we can spread the gospel and win people to Jesus Christ. And it was through these disciples that the good news went out. And think about this. It went out to more people in more places, more ethnic groups, more languages, tongues, more tribes, and all social strata. And that was what the Lord was after. He wanted to be the Lord over all. And he was going to do it through these disciples. And there's something really cool if you think about this. That we are all related. If you're a Christian this morning, like a real Christian, we are all related in the fact that those that Jesus had called his disciples that were in the upper room, to those that call ourselves Christians today, we can trace our spiritual family tree back to the upper room. All of us are related in Christ Jesus to the disciples because they took the Jesus mission the Great Commission, and the Jesus Movement out of that upper room, and it has, it has infiltrated life even to today. The faithfulness of those disciples. Do you think they did that on their own power? Do you think that was even possible? We're talking about the power of God in the Holy Spirit working through these ordinary men and doing amazing works for the Lord. And they were going to need to remain and abide in Jesus, not only for power, but for survival. When I say survival, I mean survival of their faith to the end. But I'm also talking about survival, remaining and abiding in Jesus till the end. Because many of them suffered persecution. My definition of persecution is someone who is suffering or dying for something that they believe in. You're willing to suffer and die for something you believe in, and, and, and someone is going to make you suffer and die for what you believe in. That's persecution. Webster's Dictionary defines it as this. A program or campaign to exterminate, drive away, or subjugate a cause or a movement. Also, the infliction of loss, pain, or death to stop a movement. And Jesus' disciples were going to be persecuted immensely and how did they remain faithful to the end this is what the disciples of jesus this is what happened at the end of a lot of their lives james was beheaded in a.d 36 james was so righteous that at his final visit to the roman judge that condemned him that man who turned him in, actually became a Christian after hearing his testimony and actually got beheaded beside him. You think he did that on his own? No. Jesus' power. Holy Spirit power. Thomas was murdered by a poisonous dart while ministering in India. 
Simon was crucified. Luke was hanged in Greece. Mark was dragged by horses through the streets. And then when that didn't kill him, then he was drawn with those ropes. They took the ropes off the horses, drawn with those ropes into the fire where he was burned to death. Bartholomew was crucified and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was run through with a spear. Philip was crucified and then stoned to death. James was pushed off a temple and then beaten to death with clubs. Paul gave his neck to the sword. Matthias, the the apostle that was chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, he was stoned to death. And then he was beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death, and Peter was crucified upside down next to his wife, who was also crucified. How do they not denounce Christ when they're suffering like this? You think that they thought back to this upper room discourse and to these chapters into John 15, 1 through 11, where Jesus said, hey, abide in me. And I'll abide in you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. Make me your dwelling place. Because there's things you're gonna go through in this dark world. There's things that are gonna happen to you. It's gonna be tough sometimes until we get to heaven. And the only way that you're gonna make it is to stay connected and dwelling with me always. And folks, this was a 24-7 proposition. This was their life. They, they were focused on, I mean, how, how, how? If someone came in today and said, hey, if you're a Christian, I'm going to drag you behind horses around every square mile of streets in Enid. You're going to fill every concrete rash burn and every pothole and every rock and pebble and all the sand that we've been throwing out there for all the snow and ice. And, okay, we're going to drag you through all of that. And then at the end, if you're not dead, we're just going to cut the ropes off, build a big fire, and drag you into it because of your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think any of you could do it on your own. There's no put, oh, put my mind to it. No, the Holy Spirit will empower you. The power of God will empower you to endurance of those things. And that's what these disciples needed. It's exactly what Jesus was giving them there. This was a matter of life and death. But it was a matter of life and death of what? The mission. Make disciples. Baptize them, like we saw just a little bit ago. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, you can make an argument that Christians today face some persecution. And we do. There's some things you're going to be called on, and you're going to be persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ. But last time I checked, at least here in the United States, there's not very many people that are asking for your life yet. But Jesus still says to all of us that really love him and really follow him, abide in me, remain in me, and I will remain in you. That word remain and abide in the Greek is the word meno. It's used seven times in the passage in John 15 there that I read. This is what it means in reference to a place. It means to not depart from it, to continue to be present in it, to be held and kept continually in it. Remain and abide in reference to time means to continue to be in it, to not perish, to survive, to live, to last, to endure, and to outlast. Talking of persons. Remain and abide in reference to a state or condition is that you remain as one, connected to one, not to become any other. 
has this sense of dwelling, this sense of home continually. Last thing this morning. If you make Jesus your home, he will be your forever home. Abide with him and he will abide with you. Some of you are familiar with the foster care system here in the United States. In fact, there's several families here in our church that have been a part of that. It's a a ministry where you open your home and um, some children might come and be a part of your home that you provide a safe and loving, stable place for these children to be raised. I have some friends in ministry that I've, I've spent time with at conferences and being connected in Christian church circles. And it's amazing because their story is the same as so many stories of children today. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, for VBS last year for Vacation Bible School in the summer, um, our mission support was the Freedom Gates Boys Home up in Kansas. And if you didn't understand what that ministry was, what they've done is they've taken boys out of the foster care system and they've given them what? A home where they don't have to be shipped around anymore. There's a term they actually use for this. I've heard it from adults and I've also heard it from teenage boys. They call it their forever home. Every kid in the foster care system, what they really want, they may not even be able to express it with words. They want their forever home. I want one place that I connect to, one place that I can go to, one place where I can abide, (laughs) one place where I can remain. And folks, that's what Jesus was giving the disciples, and it's what he offers to us. He says, hey, I'm your forever home. I'm it. I'm the stability you want. I'm the loving place you want. I'm the safe place. I'm the, I'm the warm place. When you go out in the world and you, and you encounter darkness and you encounter all of the things of this world, and it has this, this way of making your soul weary. Like the Christmas song says, the weary world rejoices. Well, we can rejoice when we find love and peace from Jesus who is our forever home. And I wanna offer to you this morning that if you're outside of Jesus, make today the day of salvation for you and that you call Jesus home today. And you say, I'm gonna deed my life over to him. He's gonna be my savior and my Lord. You do what you saw earlier. You're obedient to Christ in the act of baptism. You give your life to Jesus. And for some of us, we need to be reminded that this remaining and abiding is to keep us on mission, to share our faith with others. There's no better season to do that than the Easter season, the season that we're into right now, for you to share with someone about your forever home in Jesus.